Hello and welcome to Salmon Stream, a podcast for our Salish Sea Association of Marine Naturalist members, where I interview experts and researchers about topics featuring marine life we have here in the Salish Sea. My name is Tracy Merrill, and I'm the Education Curator at the Whale Museum in Friday Harbor, Washington. Thanks for joining us today. We have a great episode in store for you guys today. Today's topic is we're going to be talking about local research with kelp forests going on that the Samish Indian Nation is involved with. This podcast is episode 11 from season three, which is being recorded live on November 21st, 2023. And my guest today is Toby McLeod. And Toby, we're so thankful to have you with us today. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a Samish citizen, and I've been working for the Samish Department of Natural Resources since about 2016. My background is in oceanography. I got my bachelor's degree from the University of Washington in 2009. Wonderful. So you've been doing this for a while now. Uh, What got you interested in researching kelp forest? Well, at the... Samish Nation, our mission statement is to preserve, protect, and enhance the environment in Samish traditional territory. So kelp forests are a large part of the ecosystem. They're a nursery for, nursery for fish. It's a keystone species uh, within the ecosystem. It contributes to habitat for salmon, herring, lingcod, urchins, and so forth. So uh, it falls in line with our kind of core principles at Samish and that our our work with our project partners and our our work for our community really encourages this research. That's great. So Helen, have you been involved in this type of research? Well, like I mentioned before, I've been working for the tribe since 2016. The research for kelp at the Samish tribe predates my working here, but I really got more involved in 2017 with getting traditional ecological knowledge incorporated into the project and coming together with doing direct research and collecting our own data. So it was kind of took off in 2017. So I'm curious, I know a little bit about the current research you guys are doing with kelp forests. What was some of the previous work that you stepped into with them? Uh, well, we had uh, been given data from Friends of the San Juan and digitized that data and used that for the story maps like included that into the story maps that uh, we're doing uh, now. So the the, the work that happened before, like I uh, started working for the tribe, I think was looking at other people's data. Okay. You already talked a little bit about this, but I don't know if you want to expand on this at all, that why are local kelp forests important, both ecologically and culturally? Uh, So ecologically, they're areas of, high biodiversity, keystone species, uh, and habitat uh, species for uh, many types of fish and invertebrates. Culturally, they're important because 
well, it, within the, the indigenous culture, like all species are important and like all, all, all life is important. All, all things have value and kind of for the same reason that it's important ecologically, like that aligns with like cultural values. So they're, they're kind of fundamental for uh, large habitats that the the Samish tribe and other indigenous tribes from the area interact with directly. I understand the Samish Indian Nation is involved in kelp forest monitoring surveys currently. What has prompted the current kelp forest research you are doing? So the initial prompt came from project partners looking at rockfish and kelp bed recovery and there wasn't a lot of monitoring in the northern regions of the Puget Sound, more, more from the, the southern regions. And we were approached, and our director at the time, Todd Woodard, who's now our executive director, uh, was, was in this meeting, and they asked if we could continue the monitoring that was already being done in like the, the southern part of the Puget Sound, more in the north. And then he was able to respond with the traditional ecological knowledge. Like here's our baseline of data from like uh, tribal fishermen that, uh, that have this understanding of like where the kelp was, and then we can continue monitoring from there. Very cool. How much has local kelp forests declined? So I was looking at the kelp story map on our website and from the the research that we've done and the the research that was done since 2006 from the friends of the san juan there was a significant loss within that 10-year period like two or 2006 to 2016 we went from 845 acres of kelp to 540 acres of kelp Wow. Uh, using, uh, it was like a in infrared uh, high resolution imagery, aerial surveys, I believe. Wow. How long have you been doing this specific research project for? And do you have certain data collecting periods or monitoring periods? So we monitor in the spring and summer. We started off with doing kelp kayak surveys, going out to kelp beds, and then mapping the perimeter of the kelp beds using GIS equipment. We also do dive surveys that we use the, the reef check survey methods. Reef check is another project partner of ours that we've been working with more recently. Aerial photography, and then we have water quality sensors that we intermittently explore, like environmental monitoring. And we're we test several uh, methods of trying to use like different types of water quality loggers. Uh, th those are our, our primary methods at the moment. Very cool. How many different methods you are employing. You did say this was started back in 2017, right? This has been ongoing that, since then? Yeah, that's when we started collecting data ourselves. Okay. And what kelp species are you primarily working with? Mostly we're working with bull kelp, although we do monitor like other species of kelp, 
particularly in our, our dive surveys. It's like whatever we happen to see, but bulk help primarily. Okay. You started to talk about this a little bit, but maybe you can expand on it. Um, I'm curious about what specific protocol you guys are using when you do this. And I know you mentioned reef check. So maybe you can tell us a little more about that. So with our dive surveys, we use the reef check method, which is to basically we create transect lines in areas where we have our kelp monitoring. And so along these transect lines, we'll monitor kelp, the presence and absence of kelp within the the transect line, invertebrates and fish. And then we'll do several transect lines within an area. How are you recording this data while you're diving? Well, we look at what's there and we have data sheets that we dive with, like just waterproof, like data sheets on a slate. And then we'll like write with like a a graphite pencil, like onto the sheet, everything that we're seeing, like the quantities within the transect line. And then when we ascend to the surface, we transfer and consolidate all of our data and then hand that over to our reef check partners. And then they collect and compile the the data in uh, a larger database elsewhere. Even though you mentioned this already, is there anything you want to expand on as far as what data you're collecting when you're out there? I, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. So presence and distribution of kelp and other species within the transect lines and the reef check surveys, and then area and distribution of kelp for our kayak surveys. Yeah, I think that covers it. So once you've collected this data, you've turned it over, what do you then do with the data and how is it being used? So the the data that we use is the area data that we use for the the story maps. So you can see where the kelp is present and the change of the distribution of kelp over time. And that we just share to the public. The other data we just hand over to our project partners and then they use it for for their uh, projects and research. What are some marine species you have observed in the kelp forest and what has been your favorite and why? I always struggle with like, what is your favorite X, Y, or Z? Uh, But I, I like that we have such a diversity of things to see when we do our our surveys we see different kinds of like salmon and and rockfish and just miscellaneous fish that like sometimes are are difficult to identify when they're swimming past lingcod are are cool to see when you're swimming with them underwater the different types of invertebrates like um different types of sea stars or urchins, sea cucumbers. We don't record them for our reef check surveys, but occasionally we do see like nudibranchs and other colorful species down there. I love nudibranchs. (laughs) Wolf eels and octopus sometimes, uh, scallops. We've observed like the pinto abalone, which is kind of a rare sight on occasion. Uh, they're uh, endangered species, so it's cool to see them. How has traditional ecological knowledge been incorporated into the study? 
At the beginning of the study, I took a map of the San Juan Islands and I brought it to my my father and my uncle uh, who were tribal fishermen. And I asked them to show me on the map where they remember seeing in, in their experience different types of rockfish, different types of uh, kelp, and to draw the border on the map of like how far these populations e- extended to. And then I, I just sat and talked with them for a day and they just drew on the map. And then they told me stories of what they saw and then stories they heard from their parents or grandparents or great grandparents. And I then brought all of this information back to the Department of Natural Resources. And I said, this is what I've collected. And then that information was then shared with our, our project partners. And, and those were included in our like historical data to describe like what baseline predates our current monitoring project. So it really has helped understand the scope of the historical data and the loss. And who has been all your partners on this project? I mean, obviously Friends of the San Juans. Well, Friends of the San Juan, uh, Reef Check, We've gotten funding from the BIA, the EPA, the Department of Ecology, Northwest Indian Fish Commission, uh, Puget Sound Partnership. I That's feel a like, lot of partners. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm missing some too, but yeah, th- those those were like off the top of my head. What challenges has there been with a diving study like this? Well, diving is challenging. So Everybody on our team is learning scientific diving, like how to do the methods. And there's there's a lot more to it than just recreational diving. Plus, the diving within Puget Sound is different than, say, diving in a tropical area on vacation. So we have to deal with weather, tides and currents. And there have been times when people within our department wanted to get into diving and then haven't been able to because of like medical conditions that have come up. So things get delayed. We have to go through a lot of trainings to be able to adequately collect and then share data with the standards and expectations that our like project partners and other people within the scientific community can effectively like take seriously. So it's, it's been a a learning process for sure. And it's been challenging, but in a good way, there's been a lot of growth. Given those challenges on average, how many dives do you typically do in a field season and how long are those dives for? Well, the dives last for as long as you can, maintain air underwater (laughs) so when you run out of air the dive is over and hopefully before you run out of air the dive is over and to maintain scientific diving accreditation you need i think at least 12 scientific dives per year 
And then we do like a certain amount of reef check dives specifically with our, our reef check partners every year to be able to share that data with them. So yeah, at, at least, at least that many. And like I said, uh, spring and summer is where we see a lot of the, the kelp growth and production so that it'll be during those seasons. Although we will be trying to dive as often as possible just to just to see what's there when we can it and it it also is like i said tied and current dependent so whenever the w- weather permits as well since you have been doing the monitoring have you noticed significant changes any interesting findings or observations you want to share well i think one of the big takeaways and the most obvious takeaway is the significant loss of kelp that we have in relatively short periods of time. Like I said before, from 2006 to 2016, like hundreds of acres of kelp have been lost within that time period. And we're still losing in many areas of the San Juans, just acres of, of kelp. So we don't want to see this trend continue if we can help it but whether or not we can help it is something we have to find out do you know what the main cause of the loss of the kelp forest is i have discussed this with several people there's a lot of speculation as to what the the cause is it's likely a a multitude of parameters and it's difficult to the point at one and say this is for sure why we're seeing these losses so i i don't think we have an answer like that at least not like a scientifically satisfying answer as to like what the cause is there there are many things that contribute to it but it's multifaceted okay and how long do you see this research continuing? As long as we're able to, and as long as monitoring kelp falls within the greater like mission statement of our department. So as, as long as the environment needs to be monitored for the, the health and safety of like the community, like we'll keep trying to explore that. Okay. Are dive team members certified trained externally outside the Samish Indian Nation? If so, do you envision one day having a research dive team that is fully trained, certified under your department instead of having to get trained, certified externally? And what's involved in that process? So yes, we we do a lot of external trainings. Everybody has to be dive certified before they can be scientifically dive certified. Everyone has to be scientifically dive certified before they can do scientific diving. There's your your standard like open water dive training. There's like a series of certifications you can get to demonstrate that you are like rescue dive certified that you're reef check certified and 
also we we try to be uh, AAUS certified American Association of Underwater Scientific Divers and that that requires a lot of experience and kind of collaborating with different partners in order to get each individual up to the the standard of scientific diving in order to perform the the work that we do and i believe there is a goal to eventually be able to train people in house before we can do that we need to train our current dive team to be able to train other divers so we need not only to be scientific dive certified and dive master certified but dive instructor certified and and that just kind of happens like over time with more training more experience and working with people externally until we are at a level where we can begin to to train people ourselves so that that'll be a ways off but eventually we we hope to be able to be at that level what are the biggest things we can do to help preserve kelp forest well to preserve kelp forests we need to know what parameters contribute to the loss of kelp forests one parameter that people can contribute to is runoff into the sound like stormwater runoff or like the dissolution of treated water into the Puget Sound. One of the the projects in the tribe that I work on is like stormwater monitoring. We look at different channels that drain into the Puget Sound from like streams and, and rivers. And the things that end up in the sound that humans contribute to include nitrogen, phosphorus, fecal coliforms, petrochemicals, and and other things that get caught into the runoff. In, in our monitoring, we've also found optical brighteners from laundry and different microfibers from things like improperly connected, like cross-connected drains from... So there's there's a difference between wastewater and stormwater. Wastewater is just the the water that flows along like the natural like path like from high elevation to to low elevation, rainwater and and such. And then wastewater like comes from your your home or from your business and is brought to a treatment plant. There are times when things are plumbed incorrectly or some sort of like cross-contamination of systems. And just having updated plumbing systems or creating rain gardens to catch high levels of like nutrients or fecals from areas that have been developed before they hit the sound, these can reduce the impact of runoff that will then impact water quality, which will affect like eelgrass and kelp and and other things within that environment. So that's kind of a a long explanation of how one parameter can be affected by just people knowing 
where it comes from and, and how to how to just be aware and avoid contributing in that way. I know the Friends of the San Juans also, they have a campaign about anchoring your boats properly, like not anchoring them in, in the middle of kelp forests so it prevents less damage and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah, anchoring, dredging, like a- anything that impacts just the, like disturbing the, the base of the the kelp forest, not driving through the kelp forest and getting it caught in your prop. I mean, y- you don't want that for your boat anyways. So just being aware of your environment, that helps not discharging like bilge water in incorrect places. Uh, just so just being a, a conscientious boater, that helps. Yeah, but just doing things in like a a safe and intentional way helps. Okay, anything else you'd like to share and tell us about about your work? I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, <laughs> but um, yeah, we we stay busy. Sure, sounds like it. Well, I want to give a big thank you to Toby for joining us today and sharing your time and knowledge with our listeners and myself. This podcast was brought to you by the Whale Museum. Once again, my name is Tracy Merrill, and you can find my contact information as well as information about salmon and the Whale Museum on our website, www.whalemuseum.org. And the Samish Indian Nation has their own website, right? Yes, just samishtribe.nsn.us. Okay, so if folks are interested in learning more about the awesome work that the Samish Indian Nation is doing, you can check out their website. I hope you have enjoyed listening and had a whaley good time. Until next time, take care. And as you continue on your journey of stewardship and discovery, always remember to be kind to yourself and others and be open to nature's wonders. With that, we're making like whales and blowing out of here.